everybody. This is Doug Landis, and welcome to Sassel. Welcome to Sassel, a show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. We are revenue ops with an edge. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Today, our guest is Doug Landis. Doug is a growth partner at Emergence Capital. Prior to Emergence, Doug spent 15 years driving sales productivity and efficiency inside of the world's top technology companies, such as Box, Salesforce, and Google. Doug lives and breathes all things sales and go-to-market. As a growth partner at Emergence Capital, his charters create a platform to share go-to-market insights and strategies that will help Emergence Capital portfolio companies scale, grow, and ultimately become the next billion-dollar SaaS company. But before we get to Doug, this episode is brought to you by NeuroNoodle. Hey, parents of athletes, get a doodle of your noodle, a brain map, while the season's going on, so you have a baseline to compare it to in case they get dinged. Hey, you get a physical every year, right? Well, get that brain checkup before something happens. Schedule an appointment now at NeuroNoodle.com. KG. What? KG. I feel like I need a NeuroNoodle. When's, <laughs> when's Jamie coming back? I hate being the target of these. They say, you know, Tuesdays are tough for those guys. You know, these people that are employed that have real jobs, I guess Tuesday's a tough day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but people like us who just come back from Aspen, eh, it's nothing. KG. Yes, sir. I have a joke about chemistry, but I don't think it will get a reaction. <laughs> Leave us some comments at our blog at sassholes.net. KG, you got any shout outs? Yes. Your dad jokes get me every time, even though they're in the show notes. They get that's, me every that's, single time. That's in the script, too. Keep going. Yeah, so I've got uh, I've got a few today. I've uh, congrats, big congrats to John Hall, uh, who we used to work with at uh, ZipRecruiter. He was promoted to a director at Omni Engine, which was founded by uh, Jack Polson and where my buddy Rob Vasquez and Michelle Mahan uh, works. And then uh, congratulations to Mitch Poppy, Mitchell Poppy for his uh, new role as senior paid search analyst at Zovio, another ZipRecruiter uh, alumni gone on to successful things. And then uh, I've got the nice guy shout outs. I've got Raj Kapoor, who uh, of LastPass and formerly of, uh, sorry, ClassPass and uh, Lyft. And then uh, Marcel Santilli, we used to work at Upkeep together. Happy birthday to Marcel as well. Doug, you missed his birthday a few days ago, just letting you know. And then uh, Nick Young, we, we used to work at uh, BetterWorks together. And uh, he's founded Marketplace Ops. He's selling a bunch of stuff on Amazon. So happy birthday. But yeah, Doug, you missed Marcel's birthday. And, and he reached out. He was crying. <laughs> I highly doubt that. <laughs> but oh, either way, I, happy birthday, Marcel. I can't wait to get in these inside jokes. Either it's a old Cribbler stuff or old uh, Zip Recruiter stuff. I like the fact yeah. that you're bringing up two different emergence portfolio companies, both BetterWorks and Upkeep. So yeah, I appreciate there that. Go. There you go. Oh. See, I get to, I get to wear I get to wear the hat. I get to rep the hat. There you go. You're repping it. At least for now. <laughs> An- another piece of the puzzle is put into place. Yes. Earl Austin, three years Vonage. Ryan Voss, one year pop menu. Then Carney's got a couple in here. I'm guessing he had to run into a meeting. But Matt Russell, three years at GovQA. Dan Steinler, senior account executive at Six Cents. Matt Johnson, People.ai, and Andrew Gartner. I don't know why you're getting a shot up, but there he is. Ferrar's not here, so nobody can die. Everybody lives forever. Oh, thank God. And then KG, tell us about Doug. How'd you find Doug? What's your background? Clue everybody oh. in on this inside game. Well, Doug's <laughs> one of my Doug's one of my favorite guys because I think he's got more energy than than I do. I met Doug <laughs> long time ago in uh, way back in, when. Way back when in Minnesota. The very first American Association of Inside Sales Professionals Leadership Summit, very first Uh, one was held in like 2007, 2008, and it was in a little hotel across the parking lot from the Mall of America, and it was in like April, you know, and us California guys, we didn't know how cold it is until you go to Minnesota in (laughs) April, and um and uh, and I'm sitting next to this dude at this leadership summit, and I see his badge, and it's like, 
director of sales enablement or something like that at salesforce.com. I'm like, for God's sakes, the guy's got an aura about him and this guy's a stud, you know? And, uh, and so we got to talking and uh, long story short, it turned out that we had several people in common. And then last year, our paths crossed again as I took a chief sales officer role with a, an emergence capital portfolio company called Upkeep. And the CEO was like, I'd like to introduce you to our growth partner, Doug Landis. I'm like, all right, we've already we've already met. And, uh, <laughs> and so we've, uh, Doug moved back down to Los Angeles and we've become fast friends, golfing buddies, partners in crime. And I, I just think the world of, uh, I just think that the world of Doug Landis, he's a, he's a, he puts it, he puts his money where his mouth is. Let's, let's put it that way. So that that's how I know him. That's how I know him, Pete. He didn't, and he wasn't a career builder ever either. Oh yeah. No, I don't think so. What, so what is a growth partner? You're the dude with the cash. No, gosh, no. Uh, I, <laughs> I, see, I'm the one that helps our companies make sure that we're uh, we're we're getting the most, uh, the biggest bang for our buck, so to speak, the best return, if you will. Um, Got it. So yeah, I mean, the best way to think about it is like I'm free go-to-market consulting for our portfolio companies. When we invest in them, oftentimes they're product-led founders that don't know diddly about go-to-market. Uh, you know, you ask them, they're like, "We need to hire a." the head of marketing and it's like okay it'll take you six to nine months so like what that doesn't make any sense or we need to hire a head of sales they're like i want to hire a vp of sales i'm like no let's hire a head of sales and that'll cost you a half a million bucks and like wait what (laughs) so um you know my job is to just make sure that that our companies are scaling and growing and, and avoiding the common pitfalls that most early stage companies you know run into and struggle with well, yeah. Gets, how did you get? It, how did you get this job? How'd you get there? I'm cu- I'm curious. I want this job. I mean, are you are you kidding me? Do, have you seen me? Do you know me? Come on. It's like he's kind no. of a deal. I, hold on. It's <laughs> not the big There's a there's a tattoo on my arm. One of the words on this on my tattoo it says lucky because I think uh, a large part of how I landed here was was luck um, combined with a lot of grit and a ton of focus on go to market. Um, it's interesting, venture capital firms and even private equity firms nowadays are looking for ways in which to continue to add value to their portfolio companies besides just writing a check. It's super competitive to land the right deals. And so part of what you know, early stage founders are looking for is just help, not just help from a board perspective, but help in the weeds. Like, hey, we need, you know, we need to hire an SDR. What's their comp plan look like? How do we strategize? How do we think about, you know, how do we think about territory design? How do we think about you know, uh, uh, pricing and packaging. These are the kind of the standard things that early stage founders struggle with. And most most operators in the venture capital world either come from a finance or consulting, uh, um, you know, investment banking background. And that's a, they weren't necessarily operators. And they also haven't been kind of in the weeds with these early stage companies uh, for a long time. So this idea of a growth partner, value added partner, operating partner, in some cases they're called, uh, is all kind of falls into this notion of this platform team, platform experience. And, and, you know, the fundamental goal is like, how do we continue to help? How do we accelerate the growth of our early stage companies by giving them access to insights, resources, and, and knowledge that they may not have? So it makes a ton of sense. I got lucky. I, I actually do say I got lucky largely because Emergence Capital were early investors in both Salesforce and Box. Where I spent two significant chunks of time. So I was kind of a known entity to them. Um, I was also already working and advising a bunch of startups on, on my own, um, both in the kind of the sales and marketing tech stack. And so it's just kind of, it kind of fit. I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting job in the fact that, you know, what a lot of operators, KG and I even talked about this before, it's like how, how you make the transition from being an operator as a sales leader over into the world of venture or private equity, the reality is, is you have to realize there are two things that you miss. One, you don't own anything. Like I don't own a number. I don't own a team. I don't own, like, you know, when KG and I were working together, it's like, my job is to influence him, but I can't tell him what to do. I mean, I can, but he can look at me like, cool, it's my decision. Thanks for the It's input. your fault, yeah. I, yeah. Right, like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go in this direction. It's like, all right, cool. You know, I, I gave you, I led you to water. You chose not to drink it. Um, so now you're starting. Good for you. Um, you know, and the other thing is too, is, you know, it's about prioritization. Like everything is an immediate priority because 
you know, when you've got a portfolio company that's reaching out with a request, most often it's like hair on fire issue. And, you know, when you got 50 active portfolio companies, that's a lot of people that have access to you. And so I'll constantly rethinking how do you prioritize what's most important and how do you kind of give, get leverage across the org and, uh, or across the portfolios. Those are some of the, the common challenges that I face that most people don't, aren't even aware of. There's good private equity and bad private equity or not as good private equity. You get distressed yeah. companies and you squeeze out whatever cash that you can get. And then you truly try to help grow. Same, same, thing, will, is, same thing as venture capitalists. There's good VCs and there's bad VCs. Like yeah. there's a lot of money out there. You know, I, yeah. think, I think early stage founders need to think about like, what kind of partner do they want? And by the way, it's not just the firm, it's the partner that you end up partnering with and what kind of value can they bring to the table and, and, and to your conversations, I think it's super important that often is overlooked. Well, I say good and bad. To me, uh, good is long term, bad is short term. You know, let's whatever we can get sure. in cash right now versus, you know, growing into into the future. So, yeah, you, you, you're yeah. one of the good guys, Doug. <laughs> we that's all, that's well, really the you. point. I, I, I appreciate that. And I, I like to think so. Um, yeah, I mean, actually, that's kind of like one of the unknowns about our firm is, well, it's not really an unknown. I think it's a lot of people think of us as, as the good guys, because we actually, one of our core values is win big in the long run. We don't invest in companies that are short-term focused that want to, that think there's a quick exit. Like that's not interesting to us. We want to build, you know, long lasting, iconic standalone software companies. And that's going to take a long time. That's, you know, eight to 10 year journey. And, you know, our whole thesis is we want to also be the most important partner. The first one you pick up the phone and call when you've got an issue, when you've got a question, when you want to celebrate, when, you know, when you want to dig in, we, we, we like to be the ones you call. We're like the Ghostbusters. We're different. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've had some huge, uh, you've had some huge uh, wins this year, several of your portfolio companies going, uh, going public. And uh, I mean, you know, Kevin, Kevin Spain over there, I mean, talk about a nice guy. Like that's, I just yeah, love to totally. see lo- love to see the success uh, that that you guys are are, uh, are are having for sure. What what is uh, you you were at Box for a while? What the hell is Chief Storyteller? What kind of bullshit title is that? <laughs> well, you know what? It's interesting because at the time I made it up, and I'm like, hell yeah, this makes a ton of sense, right? <laughs> um, but looking back now, it was probably the most uh, appropriate title. And I've seen now a few people kind of come up with something similar. But, you know, look, I think at the end of the day, um, we all have a story to tell. Uh, And I say we all, meaning like us as individuals, us as reps, us as managers, us as leaders, us as founders and CEOs, us as companies, us as partners, us as customers. Like we all have a story to tell. And the reality is, is most of us are not very good at it, at telling our story or a story or the story. Um, and, and so we default to speeds and feeds, features, functions, capabilities, you know, c- competitive, you know, FUD, differentiators, what have you yeah. versus, you know, so we talk in facts and stats and we talk in bullets and we talk in text form and Snapchat form or whatever, LinkedIn form. Uh, and and what's, what's interesting is most of the time when we end up talking, we invariably end up just talking about ourselves. And the reality is, is if, like, if you actually take a moment, you put your buyer's hat on, that's not very effective. Like, I, I can't remember half the shit you're telling me. I seriously cannot. I mean, mm-hmm. unfortunately, our education system forces us to learn that way, like memorize and try and pick out of a list, you know, of, of the, what you think the answer is. And then we teach the same kind of philosophy when it comes to helping people understand who we are and our view of the world and why we think we're different and, you know, and value add. And so I, I, one of the things I noticed when I was at Box was this notion of like, we had, and the story kind of goes back to, we hired a new CRO and we we're about hundred million in revenue and getting ready to go public. And this is super common. You hire a head of sales, they walk around, they get to know the salespeople. And what invariably do you ask? Well, how do you tell our story? And so we had a new CRO, we walked around into about 20 different reps, 25 different reps. And he was like, well, how do you pitch Box? And we got 25 different versions. Sure, typical. And so two, two, two things happened. And by the way, we, we found this at Salesforce. Every year, Mark came out with like a new message and everybody had to get on message. And, you know, invariably you got a bunch of people that get it and then a bunch of people that go back or default back to what they're comfortable with. Hmm. 
And, you know, one of the things I realized, I'm like, we have a consistency problem. But rather than like, let's just go take our first call deck and certify everybody on that. I'm like, well, let's take a step back and look at what's the core problem. The core problem is we didn't know how to get out of our own way. We didn't know how to infuse the voice of our customers. We didn't know when and how to bring story narrative into a conversation. And, and here's the thing, by the way, when it comes to storytelling, storytelling, it's, it, it's not that you always have to be storytelling. It's just you need to be more conscious about when and how to do it. And when you bring a story into a conversation, it better be a damn good one. Because hmm. I tell you, when you're like, you're at a party and so you're, you get up, you're stuck in the corner with a person that always rambles and you're like, oh, dude, how do I get out of here? And you got to signal to your partner. You're like, help, <laughs> rescue me, right? Kind of thing. It's because no, most people don't know what the hell they're talking about. They're just, they're just talking. Just like they think putting words together in a you know, run-on sentence is going to make a story and that's not the case. Cause so, so the point is it's like a story in story form, we're all natural storytellers, but none of us have really been taught how to actually be a great storyteller. And there's a difference. It's like, you know, you can be a great you know, presenter, but if you haven't really, really been taught, there are things you're going to miss, nuances of it, if you will. So I, I created a role for myself to not only figure out how to reorient our story or the box story itself, but how to infuse more of the voice of our customers, how to introduce more stories into the conversations when we're talking about who we were and our point of view, and also the mechanics of how to get better at storytelling which is the thing yeah. that is often missed. And so that's- No, no is. doubt. No doubt. I mean, look, you know, Pete, you, you've been doing this a long time too and uh, show up and throw up. That's that's what we see. <laughs> the, the, the show yeah. up and throw up. Just Let me just let me just tell you, you got, you, you got your about us slide. You got your leadership slide. Who gives, your clients don't <laughs> give a flying <laughs> F about Dude, like your leadership yeah, like, team and, and the, na- and and the NASCAR side. And who you've raised money from. It's like, they don't really care about that either. Yeah, they want to know that you're solvent. You're not going to disappear. But at the same time, they're like, all right, cool. Move on. You know, our friend Sam Sam McKenna from Sam Sales, she's like, show me you know me. I mean, in essence, that's really Uh, what you're trying to do is build. The way I talk about it is like, fundamentally, what you're really trying to do is three things. You're trying to build connection, credibility, and empathy. And we often talk about like, oh, this is what we're supposed to do. But no one really talks about how to actually do that. Yeah, I tell you what, stories are the most powerful way to do that. You know, I start telling you a story. Immediately, there's a connection there because there's a character and you either see yourself in that character or somebody that you know in that character. Right. The credibility piece is if you can actually infuse voice of your customer into the conversation. Now, that's like, oh, you kind of get me. And empathy is just demonstrating that you've done a little bit of homework and that you understand (laughs) the key. The key to storytelling is knowing when to get into and out of a story. And so like knowing when that trigger might be like, oh, here's a good time to like tell a story instead of let me just list off a bunch of facts why we're so great. Here's what we can do for you. It's like, no, forget that. How about like, yeah. you know, you know, Pete, you, you bring up a really interesting point. You know, I was just talking to Kevin over here over at Upkeep and Kevin was telling me about, and then I tell the little story about Kevin. And instead of like me telling you how great we are, I'm sharing from a different perspective about how interesting I think this could be for you thousand percent you know this context there the uh the the great uh late great bill brooks uh runs the um runs a training company in uh the southeast uh and they have a selling system called the impact selling system impact is a is an acronym investigate meet probe apply convince and tie (laughs) it up the convince stage is all about um you know the proof and the statement that goes along with this is Customers expect you to talk about your product in very glowing terms and, you know, my, my, I'm the best and all this kind of stuff. But they are impressed when others tell the story for you. Totally. And that's and that's and that's precisely what you're talking about. Whereas, yeah. you know, hey, the salesperson is going to talk about how great our product is and how it solves your problems if you even bother to ask their problems. But but when you can tell, <laughs> but when you can tell the story about another customer that used the product to solve a similar problem, that's that's impressive. And and like you said, that's it's powerful. got a character. Yeah, I love that chief yeah, storyteller. Totally, totally. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. So so as much of it as it was a. I'm going to throw this title out there. Uh, by the way, I, so it's funny because I, I was at a point where I was like, well, you know, it's VP of productivity at Box. I've been there for four plus years. I've been doing the same thing. I'm like, I'm kind of done 
with this, and I don't really know where to go, what to do next. Um, and then we hired, we hired, like I said, we hired this new CRO, and I was like, huh, we, there's a there's a there there, there's a thing here that we need to unpack and figure out. And so I just I I called a meeting with Aaron, and I was like, I mapped it out on the whiteboard. I'm like, here's what we need to go do, and I'm gonna go do this, and here's my title, and I'm gonna report to you. And he was like, huh, okay. <laughs> so what is frugal namics? Oh man, you know what's really funny? So we're, you guys sent over like the dock of like, hey, here's the stuff that we're going to talk about on the Sassholes podcast. And you're like pulling out all these old articles that I've written, by the way, years ago. And I was like, you look at that and I was like, well, shit, I don't even remember half these articles. Like, we got new sales reps and new sales leaders that they don't know any better. This could be out yesterday. So here you go, a whole well, new you, audience. Well, you know what's really funny that, about that because I was I went back and I was reading through some of these articles. Um, and by the way, if y'all want to read these, they're just if you go to mcap.com, go to the thoughts section, look me up. I've got a whole bunch of content in here, and and um, and and it's interesting because I think the idea behind frugalnomics, at least, it, the conceptually was okay we've got to we've got to rethink how we are going after our customers we've got to rethink about what an engagement with our customers really looks like and you know anytime there's a significant event in the world and of course the pandemic is our significant event it's kind of like you know our grandparents when they were going through the great depression in the 20s yeah or the 18s to 20s you know this is our thing and and when there is a thing that happens we need to take a step back and look at, well, how are we operating as, as, as a company, as an organization, as sellers, as sales professionals and individuals? You know, the idea conceptually is really about like, well, how, what, what adjustments do we need to make in this new environment that we live in? And, and I'm going to avoid using the words pandemic anymore because we're beyond that now. COVID is just a thing. It's like the swine flu. It's like E. coli. It's like, you know, a bad version of the flu. Well, I don't want to say it's like a bad version of the flu. To some people, it is. To some people, it's way worse. Point is, um, this the context of it was just like, here's some tips of things that we need to take into consideration in this new environment. Um, interestingly enough, these tips are relevant today as they might have been. Honestly, they were likely relevant 10 years ago and 20 years ago. Because if you think about the world of sales, and KG, you know this better than most, it's like, it hasn't really changed over hundreds of years, it hasn't really changed. You know, the things that I talked about in this frugal, frugalnomics uh, article is really about like, you know, the things that we know. A no doesn't necessarily mean a no, right? A no maybe just means not now. We have to recognize that timing and relevance really, really matter in all of our conversations. And you often don't understand what's going on on the buyer side of the table. Um, and so it's important to, to kind of put yourself in their shoes and really understand like, well, it's okay. A no is, first of all, by the way, a no is a good answer because at least you kind of know where you stand. And then uh, secondarily, yeah. you know, like, okay, well, well at least, yeah. uh, you know, I always know if I get a no in my brain, it's like, I still have a chance. Yep. Could you give me a scenario or tell me a story of <laughs> when somebody calls you up, brings you in the problems that you solve? Because we're, we're all about solving problems, right? And you got the solution yep. for the problem. Start with Box. What was going on with them? And they said, hey, you know, Doug, come on in here. We need a little help. Well, I mean, when I got to Box, it was super early. So right. and, and, like, I think the reality is this. And, and interestingly enough, the world of RevOps and productivity, also people call it enablement. I hate that word. It's not a word. It's dumb. Um <laughs> It, but that's a whole different, like, if you know me, you know, I've got a whole platform about like sales enablement is the dumbest title on the planet. It was created by Forrester now 12 years ago. I was there, the conference that they created it. Anyway, um, the reality is, is like you need ops and you need enablement as early as possible in an organization. You've got 10 people in your sales organization. If you don't have rev ops already in your organization, you're way behind. You By the time you get to 20 people in your organization, if you don't have sales enablement in your organization, you're way behind. Because at the end of the day, it's about how, how do we how do we mirror some of the learnings that from the early days uh, to the broader organization? How do we drive best practices? How do we drive consistency across the organization? 
how do we measure the impact of the things that we're maybe tweaking, changing, modifying, thinking about? Our customers change, our, our value proposition to our customers change. How do we continue to drive change across an organization? You know, look, when I got to Box, they were like, we're, we're growing like crazy. We have no way of scaling what we're actually doing in a consistent manner. Um, and, and little things like the idea of like, how do you prioritize your accounts? How do you think about territories? Um, I think about, you know, something that I often talk to our portfolio companies about, even back in the day when I was at Box, it's like, are you tiering your accounts? You've got a territory, a ge geography. And in the early days, your territory could be half the United States. It's like, how do you prioritize what you're going to focus on and what you do and where you think you can have the biggest impact? And there are, there are you know, there's, there, there are formulas or ways to really think about this, but like yeah. tiering your accounts, the tier one, two, and three really helps. I, you it know, really I, helps. I love this. little things like that. Doug, you're so right. I, you know, I would, as always, you're so right. Uh, if more <laughs> horses would drink when you take them to water, for God's sakes. I was on a podcast with Richard Harris and Scott Lease. You know, Scott. And, uh, and I know both. And yep. And he said the exact same thing. He said, KG, the very first hire as a head of sales at a startup that I would make would be a RevOps hire. I was 100%. blown away when I heard that at the time. This was a few years ago. And, uh, and now I couldn't agree more for all of the reasons that you're, that you're talking about there and that it's just, how do you create scale out of this, this repeatability that, you know, transfer those best practices, you know, across the organization and measure and measure um, you know, what the, what those results are. Um, I, I, I absolutely love that. And that's the, the place of rabbi. We're going to have Scott Lease and Richard Harris on in the, in a couple of months awesome. here. And we'll, we'll talk about that as well, but amen, like for God's sakes, you, you know, you, you know what the problem is, Doug, though, and I'm sure you get this. RevOps is a cost center. It's hard to justify a head that doesn't have a quota attached to it. Um, and yet, I look at it as critical. You're shaking yeah, your I, head. I, I, don't, don't shake your I head. I, I disagree <laughs> with the, the, the point of view of RevOps being a cost center. It is. In reality, it is a cost center because they are not directly connected and tied to revenue. Say, so is sales enablement. I'm sorry. If we're really going to go there, so is marketing. <laughs> like, like, marketing isn't directly connected to revenue, although they would argue that they are. They should be. They should actually, all marketers should, their incentive structure should be 100% connected to revenue and close business on a quarterly basis. That's what should, they should be incented on. Instead, instead, they're incented on like MQLs, which don't even get me started on that because MQLs, most sales and marketing teams don't agree what a freaking lead is because that's a fundamental issue. By the way, I spent a lot of time with our early stage companies just, just addressing that. Let's just get our nomenclature right. Just simplify this shit. Come on. You've got a he, contact. Marketing doesn't create leads. He's peaking. Marketing he's doesn't peaking. create leads. Just deal with this. Marketing does not create a lead. Damn it. You create a contact. And they're not a lead until someone talks to them. And who's that person that's most likely going to be an SDR or an AE? <sighs> okay. So marketing, then what do you do? Well, you're creating these high value contacts. You pass them off to somebody. Hopefully it turns into something. If you do your job and you create great high value contacts, it's going to turn into revenue. So guess what? You get your bonus. Booyah. I'm a, but I, but I'm I digress. A, I'm a sales professional <laughs> wrapped up in a marketer's body. And yes, I digress. I like, here's the thing. I, you like, you want to talk about problems? I, you look, you, Scott, Richard, I, I, this, I live and swim in a world of problems. And I see them over and over and over and over and over again. Just like the one, the, the, like the big one, like what's a lead? And what is the path from, you know, marketing activity to SDR activity to AE to closed customer to customer success? By the way, let's not forget about them. Probably the most under supported, but most important function in an entire organization is customer success because they're closer to their customer than anybody else. Because they take over after the AE is kind of done, like, whoo I'm done, unless I hang on to it for six months for some expansion or upsell. But then customer success steps in. And unfortunately, most people in customer success don't want to be in sales, but 90% of what they do is in sale, is a sales motion. So it's like, well, let's treat them the same, the revenue drivers. Anyway, I could like, you pick a problem area, we can dig in. Yeah. Uh, get get yeah. away from sales ops for a second. When you go into a company, Generally, your obstacle is the founder or whoever started things and you're, you know, Peter Principal, 
been promoted to the highest level that they, they can get to. But they have that culture there and you're going to scale something. How do you scale the magic? Do you get involved with that at all? Because as you grow, the, the, the whole seed that started when it before the growth yeah. goes away and, 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 and you lose the juju. How do you deal with that or do you deal, deal with that? I do. And I think the good news is because I get involved so early with a company, I can see, I, I understand kind of the the seed of culture that exists within the company early on. And I can, I can see it grow and change over time. So as an outsider, I get to share those comments and observations with the founder. Of course, it's all with a level of sympathy, understanding, sincerity, and compassion, because at the end of the day, you know, I have to be really careful not to call their baby ugly, like <laughs> turning this into a ter- very different company. Um, and so I uh, largely I'll do, you know, some of it's with, hey, let me just make some introductions. I'll introduce you to Kyle Porter, who has done a phenomenal job of maintaining an incredible culture as they've scaled and grown to $100 million. It's like, well, how has he done that? Well, learn from him. I'm not going to tell you how he's done it. I can give you my observations because I've been there from the whole, you know, from the very beginning. But I tell you what, why don't I connect you with him so you can, you guys can have a you two can have a culture conversation. How do you build it and scale when you're remote or when you're hybrid? Um, so a big part of what I do is I, I just make the connections to people because I can't always have, you know, I can't I can't always be the one that's that's you know kind of dishing out the advice or making the suggestions because at the end of the day it starts to get a little stale. It's like all right, you're telling me the same stuff. So a lot of times I'll leverage board partner. I'll leverage other, you know, kind of former founders, CEOs that we've got in our portfolio. It's really all about kind of building a sense of community. I'll tell you, founder, CEO, and CRO, those those two are like the most, uh, some of the loneliest jobs on the planet. CEO, for sure. Because if you're struggling with something, you often don't want to go to the board, or your board partners, because they can't, you don't want them to view you as being any sort of weakness. Yeah. Or there being any sort of weakness, because the only job the board has really, the only power they can do is fire the CEO. And as CEO, you don't really want to talk to your peers or your, you know, your team really about some of the things you're struggling with, because they need to make sure that you, you know, you're the person, you're the, you're the one in charge, you're the, you know, the commander in chief. And so it's like, well, who do you talk to? And where do you go? Oftentimes it's to me, and then it's to our, our CEO community that we have here across the portfolio. Um, and, and it's something that we, we remind everybody as they're growing and scaling that that's going to change. And so you've got it. That has to be a priority as a CEO. Has to. It's, it's, it's so, you're so right. And I don't think enough sales leaders, by the way, that report to these uh, CEOs quite appreciate that. You know, these CEOs have oftentimes built these startups on their own shoulders with the knowledge that they have. And They've, it's hard work and a great product and maybe a little bit of luck that, you know, some market forces that have gone, you know, gone in the right direction. And now it's starting to scale. They're seeing success and they've got a $10 million check or $20 million check from the likes of your firms and others. And it's or, a yeah, lot higher. more now. <laughs> Is it really? Okay, great. Your funds oh, yeah. are getting bigger Series, now. Series A rounds are bananas. Well, even bananas. still, yeah, even still now. Yeah, we're talking they've got a lot of cash 30, 40. They, they've got a lot of cash, and but they feel like they have to have all the answers. And when they're yeah. faced with a scenario where they don't have the answers, they're they're really they have a helpless a helpless feeling, and they feel lonely because, like you said, they don't know who to go to, and yeah. they still feel they still feel like this was you know uh, you know two revs ago where they had the answers and they were the only ones to come up with the answers, and now they're faced with the problems that you can help them solve. And and they they're they're lonely. <laughs> it's a hard yeah. effing it's a hard hard effing job. And it's good that that your uh, that that your role exists so that they can bounce that stuff off to you. Now, if only they would just listen. <laughs> if only they would just listen and act <laughs> on some of the things. Well, and that's a whole yeah. that's a whole another thing too. Hey, um, look, as we know in the world of sales, you can't take things personally. Right. So guess what? It's the same thing in my job right now. I can't take things personally. If they don't listen, if they do listen, it's exciting. Like, you know, I live in a world of a thousand little wins, you know, just just giving somebody a little piece of advice or giving them an ear uh, to, to, you know, to listen to when they're venting is is equally as important. I play I play the role of a therapist quite often in my conversations with sales leaders, i.e. KG, <laughs> and with our CEOs and CMOs and you know VPs of CS. I mean, that's it's important to have community. I think you know it's interesting. You want to talk about you know 
tips nowadays. Community is one of the most important elements to our success in the future. Right now, it's so important. Like we need community across every function, across every industry, across every company. We need community because there's so much shit going on in the world. And, and, and we're moving it at such an incredible pace with so much more information. And now we're in this new work environment. It's like, how do I, how do I, how do I just share some of the thoughts that I have? How do I get some of the simple questions that I have answered? And, you know, I'd say it's interesting if you just look at the, the explosion of community right now with Pavilion, with Rev Genius. I mean, it kind of arguably started with MSP and Sales Hacker. And just think about all of the communities that exist by function now on the go-to-market side. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. And it, but it's, it's so important and necessary. It is. And, and by the way, too, you brought up one, one thing to you about culture as a company scales. Um, I'm going to challenge everybody here who's a RevOps or sales leader. Um, you need your own sense of culture, too. The sales team needs a sense of culture. The operations team needs a sense of culture. Like, who are you? What do you stand for? Why do you exist? And that needs to be something that you're that like everyone's really clear about and really proud of. And that also needs to be interconnected into the culture of the entire company. And, and you, I don't know if we talk about that enough. We talk about the company culture, but we don't talk about the, the subcultures that exist within an organization that are really important. Well, you, you say community. To me, I go to communications because when you grow that fast, you don't commute. It's easier when you got 30 people, when you got 3,000 yeah. getting the message across and not playing the telephone game. You know, that's a, that's a big one. Uh, how do you keep the message on point when you grow that fast? Do you have any little tips, any little clues there that you use at the companies you work with? Um, yeah, so I'd say, I mean, there's a couple of things that I've seen that are just pretty remarkable. So um, I'm going to go back to Kyle at Sales Labs because he does such an incredible job. But it's interesting, he sends out an update every Sunday night to the whole company and it includes the board. And they're exact, you know, and it's, and by the way, it's, it's been coming from Kyle for the last, geez, seven years, every Sunday night, he does not miss it. If he is not going to send it out, one of his execs will send it out. And he's got a framework that he follows. And just imagine seven years of Sunday night releases or updates, if you will. And he's got a whole book. And in that book, you can see how they've grown and scaled and the things that they've struggled with and the things that they've discussed. But, you know, he opens up his, his, you know, his update with something customer oriented or something super positive. That's about like, Hey, here's what our customers are saying. Here's what I want to celebrate, you know, and it's usually about, you know, the company and the employees and their customers. It's interesting. Um, Danny Meyer, founder of Shake Shack, he spoke at, at Salesoft's uh, user conference a few years ago. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting that he said, but I think we often get wrong is as a CEO, we often, you know, one of our core values and we, you know, we, we communicate this across the entire company is like the customer is always right. Put the customer always first, blah, 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 blah. Danny, this, that is wrong. That's backwards. Your employees are your single most important asset to your organization. Take care of your employees. Take care of them. Give them everything that they need to be supported and to be successful, and then they will take care of your customers, right? Because if you always put customers first, then then you'll 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 burn your employees out in order to make sure you're taking care of your customers. If you take care of your employees and you create that right the right environment, they will stay. They will run through walls for you. They will do what's right for the customer. And you know the conceptually, it's something that maybe it feels a little backwards but when you really think about it it's like no it makes perfect sense and it, yeah he wrote a book called setting the table and it's a, i highly recommend it and even though it's a very different industry because he's all he's a restaurateur conceptually about it's a great book on 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 leadership and so back to your question about like oh, okay what are tips so number one send out an update every sunday something positive and then what's going on across the business so people just know because what happens when you scale is we feel like we're out of the loop and we're no longer like information trickles down and it's like other people hear about it first. And it's like, well, why do they hear about it? What am I missing out on? What you have to understand is employees exist. There's what's called, there's three different types of culture. There's your customer culture, there's your leadership culture, and there's your employee culture. And your employee culture, the moment someone leaves or they get fired, everyone in the employee culture freaks out. 
because they want to know well, what happened. And often companies don't talk about it. Why did this person leave or why did we have to get rid of them? We're like, oh, we just brushed it on the carpet. It's like, we just don't want to talk about that because we don't want to bring it up. It's like, don't talk about it. Talk about it. Be upfront about it. Be like, listen, it just didn't, it comes a point in time where it just doesn't fit anymore. And we have, you know, we just, we make a decision to, to go in a different direction or they did something that was inappropriate. It's like, we had to, we had to, you know, we had to make the call, um, but often it's not talked about. So I think, you know, you were talking about communication. So one, send out your weekly <clears throat> updates Two, um, be really, really careful about Slack. I think Slack is being, <laughs> I think Slack is being overused. Oh and my Slack God. Is amen. Not email. Slack is not email. Slack is for, okay, it's like instant conversation, but it should not replace your email. Because honestly, I, I get in Slack and then I look at something and then the moment I've clicked on it, it's gone. It's gone. Like, I don't know where it is. In my email, I can, you know, I can file it away. I can mark it, prioritize, prioritize read it later, et cetera, move it to a folder. So be really careful about how you use your tools. Yes. Whether that's, whether that's text message, Slack, WhatsApp, email, Zoom, be really conscious of that. The other thing that I've also seen work really, really well, especially in, in over the last two years, is companies creating days where there, you have no internal meetings, where you can actually get work done. Uh, we do a personal health day once a month where we take the entire day off and no one's allowed to be on Slack, email, or anything. Now, granted, some of us choose to work, but, you, but that is it's not required. And it's also not part of your you know, time off. It's just something we do. Um, we do like, you know, food stipends because we used to cater food, you know, at least at the firm every day. And since we're not doing that, they give us all a stipend every day we can spend. So I buy groceries every month. It's amazing. It's these little things that you can do that really, really matter because it shows that you care and that you care about people's personal health, mental health, their wellness. And again, if you demonstrate that, you, that, you know, they're a part of the family then they're going to do what's right for your customers, your partners, and, and everybody else. Doug, the CEO of ZipRecruiter used to say that culture goes far beyond ping pong tables in the office and mm. snacks in the office. Like that's yeah. not culture, you know? What's your culture no. like? Oh, we have a, you know, ping pong tables and foosball tables, and that is a load of horse shit. And, and the word that you used <laughs> is right on, and that is care. Do you, a culture... Yep. You know, does your does your culture demonstrate that you care for your you yep. know employees? I was literally just yesterday um, on the way to the golf course talking to a uh, a former leader of mine who was talking about a challenge that he's having with one of his his leaders, and that there isn't that kind of you know rapport that culture with this guy's team and uh, and I said does your director show his managers that he truly cares about them and their future you know and and how they're he's creating this culture of caring is 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 he putting money in the bank every day with his with his managers to show them that he cares, you know, that's yeah. a way that you're going to be able to build your culture. Um, and there's other things, of course, you can do around that to, to build cultures. But but the word care, Doug, I love that you brought yeah. that up because it, you know, it sounds touchy feely and it sounds cliche. But if you can truly but, demonstrate that you care, that's a great way to think about building your culture. Yeah, and 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 there's a, there's another word I'll throw out there that I think is also really um, demonstrative about you know, how you're showing up every day to, to your, to yourself and to your team. And that's actually showing up with some level of vulnerability too. It's showing up that you're human. It's showing everybody that like, listen, I don't have, you know, I'm not perfect. I don't have, you know, I have my good days and my bad days too. I wake up some days when I'm just, a, I'm just in a shitty mood and things are going sideways and like, that's okay. That's real life. If you show up every day and you're like, you're a robot and it has to be a certain way, then people don't feel safe and comfortable around you. And when they feel safe and comfortable, just like a relationship, they're going to put more into it. And so like, you want to talk about caring. It's like, show your vulnerable side, have, have moments where we just talk about like, Hey, let's do a check-in. Um, one of our companies did this. It was amazing for their customer advisory board meeting. I was, I walked into their customer advisory board meeting, all of their biggest customers, and as they started the meeting, they went around the table. Everybody talked about, they did a check-in. Where are you physically, mentally, soulfully, and spiritually? 
Like, where are you right now? Like, where, how, like, you could do red, yellow, green. You just talk about like, you know, mentally I'm exhausted because I just didn't sleep all that well last night at the hotel. Physically, so impacting that as, as well. Although I've had my coffee, so like I'm kind of, I'm running on some caffeine, right? You know, soulfully, I have my good days and my bad days, all the shit that's going on around us. I like, I feel it in, in the earth. And, you know, I woke up today and it feels like a good day, but then I walk around the streets of San Francisco and I feel like I live in Armageddon. Like, it's just, a, and I don't even live here anymore, but it's just, you know what I mean? Like, and, and they literally just do a check-in. It's weird because everyone's like, wait a minute, this is a corporate, like, meeting. This is like, there's a bunch of ballers in this room and we're all kind of getting a little touchy-feely, but guess what? The CEO who brought everybody together, led it. It's like, here's how we're going to start. And what it does is it break down, it broke down the barriers of like, you know, it's just re- remember we're all human beings and we're not here to solve world hunger. We're here to, we're here to get to know each other and to share. Doug, I think you, you hit it right on the head, you know, bringing up Danny Meyer. I mean, it's, it's the values. That's why a company's got to take time to sit down, not yeah. just to put stuff that goes on the website. Do we really mean this? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause that's, cause well, the culture, and, and culture, how does it yeah. show up? And how does it show up in a company? Well, one thing you do is like we do at, at our firm, we do every month, we have people submit their thoughts on how our other employees are living the values, are showing showing up, living our values. And, you know, I know a lot of other companies do that, but I don't know if they do it enough. I don't know if they do it consciously enough. I don't know if they they like they have a, a way of which where you can um, recognize your team members for showing up living one of your core values. Because when you do that, then guess what? Those values then come off the wall and they come into the house. In reviewing performance, if anybody does that anymore, it all has to be tied back to the values. If the employee is number one, okay, how do we, how do we show that? Just like you're saying. So if we're not constantly looking at that, and I think that's probably one of your biggest thing is, hey, are we operating towards in relation to our values? Is there a needle on the compass? It can be a simple job or it can be a hard job, you know, as you grow. Yeah. And uh, I think the, you know, the values keep us headed north. So it's nice to meet a good equity guy, a good cash guy. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, there's a difference. I'm in venture capital, not private equity. There's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> You're all money guys it's, to it's me. All cash. <laughs> yeah, we're all, I it's all cash. I totally get it. I totally get it. It's all cash and risk. Well, it's funny. It's true. It's funny though, because, you know, I often talk about like, oh, I I joined the dark side because people talk about like being on this side of the table is like the dark side. But it's, but it's funny because like, there's one level of the dark side, which is, you know, venture capital. There's another level of the dark side, which is, uh, which arguably is private equity, right? Because often private equity, they come in and they like, they assess everybody like, all right, you know, 80% of the the company, you guys are out, you guys are sticking around and we're going to squeeze you. You know, so we can get more margin on the business before we sell right. it. Um, they're not all that bad, by the way. But uh, but yeah, that everyone we all have our demons that we have to. That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Doug, what's the best way to uh, learn more about you and your and your uh, company? Well, first of all, follow me on LinkedIn. I I okay. post a lot on LinkedIn. In fact, I just recently posted, I think on Friday, about traveling uh, because I've been uh, I'm now back on the road and, um, I don't know. I just was kind of sharing my thoughts about some of the things that I was feeling about traveling and it's absolutely blown up. I mean, not to the level that Scott Lee's gets when he posts cause he's a, he's a magician on LinkedIn, but yeah, I post a lot on LinkedIn, my thoughts and my observations about what's going on. We also, I write a lot on our thoughts page at mcap.com, go to thoughts. And I mean, you can always find me just at Doug at MCAP.com. Please do not send me an email and try and sell me anything or try and pitch me to your company. That is not the way to, trust me, as a sales professional, do not come at me (laughs) with a pitch out of the blue. I will destroy you. <laughs> awesome. I am, I am the best. I am the best. KG, I'm actually curious to your thoughts. I'm the best and the worst person to sell to because oh, yeah. if, if, if the timing and the relevance and everything, and it's like, I'm, it's, it's where my head is. And then you, this is a, it's a great experience and it's a great process. Then I'm all engaged, but 96% of the time, I'm not thinking about it. So the fact that people are pitching to me and they're like, oh my gosh, it drives me. I have a whole folder. John Barrows and I have 
we go back and forth in these text text exchanges or email exchanges. I'm like, dude, check this out. I'll write back and be like, hey, my response to a lot of the prospecting emails I get, I write back and like, go to jbarrows.com, take a prospecting class, leave me the F alone. This email is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I copied it's so funny you'd say that because Barrows just posted something on LinkedIn a couple of days ago about that very thing. He was like looking for this specific thing. And then this the person just went down this like show up and throw up demo. And he was like, what? My, uh, my wife always, yeah. when, when somebody's pitching me, my wife always says, they have no idea who they're talking to, do they? Because like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like this, you know, yeah, I want to buy so something. True. Yeah, I want to buy something, but man, you so freaking... it reminds me of that one scene in Boiler Room, right? Where he's getting sold the newspaper and he's like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Is this a sales call? What? Okay, you got to do that again. And then you're like, he's coaches him. And he's yeah. like, okay, okay, you got me involved. You got me intrigued. Right. I'm, I'm interested. He's like, well, do you want to buy it? He's like, no, I already get the class. Click, buy. But it's like, you know, you know, I think at the end of the day, the, the best tip that I can leave everybody with is just do your effing homework on the person you want to talk to. Do your homework. Come to the conversation with a point of view. Here's the thing that I, I despise nowadays. As a buyer of technology, which I'm, both of you, both, I'm sure both of you have been buyers of software and technology for, the, for years, oftentimes sellers force us to do all the lifting. And you know what they say? You know what the question they ask? And here's the tell. Here, here's the way you can determine whether or not they've done any homework on you. They what say, keeps you up at night? <laughs> well, that's the worst. If anybody ever asks you that, I hang up on them. Point blank. It's just done. done. Click five. But with the moment you say, tell me about. Tell me about. Tell me about. Tell me about. It's like, you know what? No, screw you. You tell me what you think. You tell me and let me validate that or refute it. Because at the end of the day, you're making me do all the heavy lifting and all the work. And I'm sick of it. Ethos, like, logos, pathos. Study Aristotle, <laughs> kid. <laughs> Doug, Doug thanks, for, thanks for coming on the show, man. You're welcome. That was fun. Appreciate it. Oh, oh we're, do, we're doing this again. Thanks for listening to the Sassholes. Pete, we thank you for listening. We ask you to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our newsletter. All the links for Doug and everything we talked about will be in the podcast notes. Hey, you can always buy us a beer on Patreon. Give us a try because we'll invite you to our once a month consults. What's a consult? Pay up and find out. We thank you for listening. Cue the music. Cue the music.